All right, so last time I stopped, we were studying um, a woman who reflects the heart of Jesus, and we're studying contentment. So um, when we first started, I'm, I'm going to review a little bit because it's been, I don't know, two or three months since I talked last. So, um, and when I myself had to go listen to the recording to see where I had ended, I knew that I needed to do a little bit of a review for myself, if nothing else. So we talked about Luke 12, 12, 22, where Jesus said to the disciples, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add stature to... To add to his stature one cubit. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we talked about how that the state of contentment is far more than just our clothing and our raiment and it's about trusting a heavenly father and that contentment begins with an eternal perspective we talked about um <clears throat> meredith who had her life just it was a really good life that she had but every she had a good husband and everything, but everything she concentrated was all on she wanted more. She always wanted something else without realizing all the good that she already had. And that she then looked at her children and she said, well, my children are so discontent without realizing that it was coming from her, the mother, that was causing the discontentment. And then we looked at Ella and her journal and how that... Um, Ella was a missionary with the Pygmies in Africa for 42 years. She had left her country, her family, and all that was familiar. And um, she had shared with her granddaughter that some days it was so unbearably hot that she had to bring the thermometer inside because it couldn't register past 120 degrees without breaking. And um, her daughter, Meredith, always wondered or Mimi, sorry, I'm getting the two confused, what, what her mother's secret was to this contented life where she never complained, she never heard her mother complain. And Ella's prescription for content, contentment was never allow yourself to complain about anything, not even the weather. Never picture yourself in any other circumstance or someplace else. Never compare, compare your lot with another's. Never allow yourself to wish this or that had been otherwise. Never dwell on tomorrow. Remember that tomorrow is God's and not ours. When I read those words and I shared, they honestly, they shamed me. 
because how often do I do these little things? I mean, even the humidity here in Nova Scotia, we don't really get down here in Yarmouth. We don't get hot. We really don't. We have a few days where it's warmer than others and we have very high humidity almost 100 percent. that can be tough to handle but at the same time it's not nearly what everyone else is struggling with our heat is very minimal people come from florida in the summertime to be with us because we don't get hot they like the fog yeah they love the fog um and but it's you can look at the fog as an inconvenience or you can look at the fog as oh it's cooling down mm -hmm. it's watering when we didn't have rain last year the fog was a great thing because nothing would have lived if it hadn't have been for the fog so um but her everyday focus was so different from meredith's because meredith was always concentrating on all the things that she felt she didn't have and wanted and the secret was in Ella's last statement where she says, never dwell on tomorrow. Remember that tomorrow is God's, not ours. So her eyes were fixed on eternity. Her tomorrows belong to God and our tomorrows ought to belong to God. And we then talked about how contentment happens on the inside. Ella possessed a soul sufficiency. Not self-sufficiency, not pull yourself up by your bootstrap sufficiency. No, it was a soul sufficiency, a peace that separated her from her circumstances. Her eyes were so fixed on her heavenly father that she had such a wonderful peace that it didn't matter what happened in her life. She could continue to keep going with a joyful spirit. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It ought to be what propels us to keep going because my joy is not in the things I have. It's not in the place I live in. It's in the Lord. So I can walk into church regardless of how I feel, regardless of how much pain I am in, and I can say that my joy is in the Lord. And if I if we live that way, there's a peace that that is given that there's a joy that's supernatural. It's not coming from us. It's coming from the inside from our soul that comes from the Lord. Most of us, let's be honest, most of us base our contentment on our circumstances, on our feelings, and on other people. However, true contentment is separate, separate from our circumstances. Contentment is a state of the heart, not a state of affairs. And so when we look past all of that, then we can see that when we are not content, I have a heart problem. And when we realize I have a heart problem, then we can start saying, Lord, please work on my heart. Um, let's go to Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And this still might be a little bit of a review, but we're almost back to where we left off. Philippians 4, 11. So Paul says here, not that, I that, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. 
Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. A look at Paul's life reveals how amazing these verses are. His life, we know, was full of anything but positive circumstances. He wrote them while he was imprisoned in a dark, dreary dungeon without sanitation, heat, or exercise equipment. Elements that are all part of our American prisons today, or Canadian prisons today. He was chained to a guard. He was lonely. I'm sure he wondered if all of his work for Christ really mattered. Paul lived an extremely difficult life. None of us in here can say that we were beaten almost to death. Actually, he was beaten to death. He was stoned. Um, he was constantly misunderstood. He was deserted by his friends. Paul's life was anything but perfect and controlled. Yet he said, I have not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. In other words, contentment can be learned. Because we can all say, well, I'm just, I'm just not a content person. We've talked about this in, in studying the life of Christ. We can all say, well, I could never get that. I could never have the joy of the Lord. I could never just be a happy person all the time. I just don't, I don't, just don't have peace. Or I just couldn't be an extrovert and reach out to others or witness to them. But it's not about us doing it. It's the Holy Spirit working through us to then do it. That's why it says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Not with Christ, not because of Christ, through Christ. It's not me doing the work. I saw somebody on Facebook, um, they wrote yesterday, and they're going through a very hard time. And um, she said, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. You can try to be a good Christian all you want. You are never going to be a good Christian. I can never be a good Christian. The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. So how can I be good? It's through Christ strengthening me, the Holy Spirit working through me. It's not me doing the work. It's him doing the work. And when we remember that, then we can go back and say, contentment can be learned. If Paul could learn contentment, I mean, he went from being Saul, who persecuted the Jews, to being Paul, who now is persecuted. So if he could go through that, which I can't even imagine the turmoil at times he went through. Well, the thing is, is that he gave up such a space of, of, um, of honor. He was the, in the highest echelons. And so for him to turn like that, he had to walk away from his entire life's teachings. He had to walk away from everybody that he associated with. Basically, his entire life that he had built to that point was gone. Yeah, well, he's the one who wrote, I believe he's the one who wrote 1 Corinthians. Yeah, he did. He wrote it to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Who could better have said that than Paul? His old life was gone. But we, we sometimes think, oh, he had this miraculous conversion, and then he went off and he started working for Christ. But we, we don't always, when we see these things and we look at the positive side of it, 
we don't always look and recognize just exactly how deep of a sacrifice that was because for him he had in the stature that he gave up the respect that he gave up the money he gave up the people everything i mean it was like everything well in our i'm american you guys are canadians but when you look at americans and canadians when we get saved we don't lose anything but if we were to live in a muslim country when they turn to the lord they lose everything and sometimes they lose their lives paul was looking at that and i think i mean this is written for us yes but what an encouragement that would be to a chinese christian to someone who's got to go underground what about those that lived in Russia when they closed off all the Bibles? And, I mean, in China, if you're found with the Word of God, you can go to prison. And we're talking not an American prison, not a Canadian prison. They're nasty. They're horrible. You can die there. They know these things. And Paul knew this. He knew what he was giving up, and a Chinese Christian knows what they're giving up. A Muslim Christian knows what they're giving up. But when we get saved, we give up really nothing. That may change. I think it is going to really change. But right now, we give up nothing. As I actually notice here in Canada, it's even, it's, um, see, in the U.S., um, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you have rights. But I've seen that here, because of the Muslims, there's actually more rights for Christians here in Canada than there is in the United States. Because my kids can attend any sports, and my girls don't wear pants when they go to the different events, but they can choose not to here in Canada. In the U.S., that's not the case. You wear what you, what you signed up for. You don't get to have a religious preference, whereas here you do have that religious preference to things. So you have... For now. For now. You're losing it. I see that we're going to lose it, but right now we have it. Um, and we need to we need to be thankful for it um, because even at camp, my kids have been going to summer camp. They're able to give my kids have been giving out King's Kids Camp um, cards everywhere they go. They're all over town now. Um, and one of the leaders actually put it in someone's mailbox. That's illegal, but she did it. So there's nothing we could do. We were there. So, but um, they're all over town. Everywhere they go. They're handing them out and they can do that and no one can stop them because they're children and it's their right. But the leaders can't do that. I can't just walk up to anybody. I don't have the rights my children do. They can just do it and no one's going to say anything. And they are. That's great. We were looking at tracks the other day with, uh, for well, yesterday, I was showing them to pastor and they're wonderful tracks. He's like, get a whole bunch. Kids will hand them out in a day. Seriously, but they, they're not saved yet, but they are already realizing that other people need to know the gospel. And so it's important, but they have so much more liberty than Paul ever did. He had very little, and he knew that with what he did, he would suffer great persecution for it. Well, I put tracks in, and I put the King's Kids... Uh, things in the muffin ministry. Good, good. That's great. Well, you have, you can do that because you're a volunteer. Yep. So, um, but in, if Paul could learn contentment, so can we. 
Paul followed his extraordinary declaration about having learned to be content in all circumstances with the secret of how. And we already went through that. It's in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This often quoted verse, you could take it like this. I am able to face anything by the one who makes me able to do it. So anything we face, we can do it by the one, through the one, not through our strength, through him. Have I've always wondered, he talks about being content and then immediately talks about, I can do all things through Christ. And because Paul recognized that the source and, source and strength of all Christian contentment is God himself. It, we can't do it on our own. It has to be through God. And it is God. At all times, in all circumstances, Christ is able and willing to provide the strength we need to be content. All we have to do is say, Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I need your peace. Lord, I need your contentment. Contentment occurs when Christ's strength is infused into my weak body, soul, and spirit. We all know the tea bag. We talked about this last time. To infuse means to pour, fill, soak, or extract. When I, I make my tea every morning, when I pour the water in, I immediately notice an infusion process happening. The longer I leave that tea bag in, the stronger the infusion is. The less I leave it in, the, the less strength that the tea has. How does God enable us to be content? He infuses contentment into us through his word. That's why his word is so important. If we're not studying it every day, if we are not in his word, we cannot be content because we don't have, our lives are battlefields. And this is our battle plan. And if we don't have this, we can't be content. While he was in prison, he was making plans for more mission field visits and more, more church planning visits and things like that. And we also know that sometimes those plans failed mm-hmm. because he didn't get out of prison, you know. Um, and yet he, he, he was accepting that. So when we're, when we're um, looking at who we're going to talk to and sometimes we have people that we really, really want to get to church and things like that. And we have to realize that God wants us to be making plans. He wants us to be always forward looking to do things. But then he wants us after that to take and put those plans in his hands and let him work it out. And we're not good at or at least we, I'm not good at that. Um, when I make a plan, I want it to work. Are you, are you sure you didn't read my notes? Because we're headed that direction. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are headed there. So, um, God infuses in contentment into us through his word. As it seeps into our minds, it should transform us. Because the Bible says his word will never go void. And if we are in it, 
then it will transform us. Just as a cup of tea gets stronger when we give it time to steep, so we become more content when we spend time in God's word and with him through prayer and allow it to seep into our lives, transforming us to be like him. How can we be mad when we're in here? Oh, exactly. Exactly. You can't really be mad when you're reading God's word. It's saying, Lord, give me your perspective. So, oh, <laughs> oh, yes. So I had the mistaken perspective when I first had children that if I pumped all the right things, God, his word, good books, everything into my children, they would automatically love and obey God. Maybe not you, but God. <laughs> well, when it looked like, okay, I have an 11-year-old. She's still not saved yet. Well, and we struggle with attitude problems, and some of them lie, and some of them steal, and wait a minute, my plan isn't working so well. And I can become very anxious and worry about, okay, are they gonna get saved? What are they gonna be like? If they're like this at five, are they gonna be ax murderers when they're 18? <laughs> Don't tell me you've never thought of yourself. <laughs> you've ever wondered, oh dear, if they're like this now, what are they gonna be like when they're older? I can become anxious and a bit depressed thinking about, okay, my child is running through church right now. That makes me look really bad. Oops. Wait a minute though. Wait a minute. Are my action are my child's actions necessarily a reflection of the way that he's been brought up? No. My child knows what is right to do, but I cannot make him do what is right. I cannot force my child to do this. I cannot I cannot. But we like to have control. And we can all look at ourselves and say, if we were to share this with a friend who was godly and realized the truth, they would say to us, you like control, and there are too many uncontrollables in your life. So our children are pretty much uncontrollable. We cannot make them do what we tell them to do. And if I truly trust God, Am I going to constantly be trying to take the control back myself? Of course, you're not going to reflect on what it looks like, what it makes you look like. Well, yeah, but... That's the first first mistake. (laughs) We can desire to trust God, but sometimes he's very slow. He's very slow. It's like, come on, God, get your act together here. Really? I remember when we were praying... For the Lord to show us what his will was. We had been on staff for, I think it was about seven, seven and a half years, and my husband had a desire to be a pastor. Being an assistant pastor is not the quite quite the same as being a pastor, and he had this desire, but things were moving very, very slow. And we can, in those moments, unconsciously decide that God needs our help. I know that sounds really blasphemous, but we do it all the time. God doesn't need our help. He really doesn't. When I step into massage, because the real word is manipulate, but massage sounds so much better. (laughs) The circumstances, or to organize the people, including our husbands and children, 
My actions are saying, God, you're not doing what I think needs to be done. No. So I'll just help you out. Is our helping, it's our helping God out that leads to anxiety, fear, worry. Oh, wait, isn't there some things about anxiety in here and worry and casting all your care upon the Lord and being content? When we take over and try to control what happens, including not allowing our children to fail when they make wrong choices or not allowing our husbands to fail when they make wrong choices, we step in and we're like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. That would be a really bad idea. So we become nags of our children and our husbands. And we take our focus off the one who is in control and puts our eyes on our circumstances. Can you think of some Bible women who did this very thing? Sarah. Sarah is one of them. She did. How did she do this? Yeah, she gave her maiden to to Abraham because she's like God I am too old to have a baby you are taking way too long if you're going to give me a baby it's not going to be through me yeah. it's going to be through ha through Haggai and then she doesn't just do it once she doesn't learn the first time what does she do again she sends Ishmael and Haggai out because she feels that Ishmael is going to take some of the blessing from um Isaac, thank you. So, but then the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Who else does the same thing? Jacob Rebecca. 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 Let's go to Genesis 27. Because we've looked at Sarah and Haggai with, um, Haggai with um, uh, Cindy. But I don't think she covered Rachel, uh, Rebecca. So... Genesis 27. Oh, she may have, and I just... Well, I might not have been there for that day. Well, I have to go and back from my work. Not right now. Oh. <laughs> Genesis 27, 5 through 13. So, we know that um, God had promised Rebecca that uh, Jacob was going to have the blessing. And... Uh, Rebecca in verse 27 verse 5 and Rebecca heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it because he's about J uh, Jacob's about to give the blessing to Esau and Rebecca spake unto Jacob her son saying behold I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother saying bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before thy death now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to my father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father pervert adventure will feel me and I shall seem to him as a deceiver and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing and his mother said unto him upon me be thy curse my son only obey my voice and go fetch me them 
What we don't see in this passage is this is such a well thought out plan that she must have been devising devising this plan for a very long time. It wasn't something she just threw together. So how many years was Rebecca anxious that Jacob was her favorite son, wasn't going to get the blessing that she thought he was going to get? So here she is conniving this well thought out plan. But then she says... In verse 13, upon me be thy curse, my son. She's not only devised this great big plan and taken it out of God's hands, but she's now bringing a curse upon herself. She never sees her son again. She never sees her favorite son again. I'm sure that the relationship between um, Isaac and Rebecca were never the same. Because there had to have been already, she already felt that Jacob wasn't, or Isaac wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. So here she is, well, Isaac, if you're not going to do what you're supposed to do, well, I'm going to step in and I'm going to fix it for you. How many times do we as women look at our husbands and say, well, you aren't doing what I think you should do. So we step in rather than letting our, our husbands fail. Heaven forbid our family goes through a hard time. So we're going to step in and we're going to keep our family from going through a hard time. Wait a minute. When you step in, they went through a harder time, I believe. Jacob was separated from his whole family. Esau was wanted to kill him. So you have two brothers fighting. You have a husband and wife who have no unity. And I would not be surprised if they died that way. She was anxious always worried about her son she couldn't have been a happy woman to live with but if you look back and look at sarah and abraham's relationship through what she did i mean she because of her sin a whole nation was created that fought against the jewish people for all of history for all of the time that we have known they have always been at war because of the things that she did We may think we're stepping in and we are saying, honey, you don't want to do that. Let's do it this way. Or we're conniving in when we're going to bed or taking a shower. We see all these things. We see this picture and we think we have the big picture and our husbands don't and our children don't. But we may be ruining our family's lives. We are a picture of the Holy Spirit, but we are not the Holy Spirit. We have to let the Holy Spirit work. And I shared this story with um, someone in this room, but there was a lady who um, her, she saw that their family was headed to financial ruin. Her husband had made a few bad decisions with money and she was trying to talk him into doing her plan. Well, he didn't do it. Well, she went ahead and she put her plan into action. What she did not know at the time was that her husband had been having an affair with his secretary. But if their family had gone into financial ruin, he would not have been able to run off with the secretary and their family would have stayed together. Instead, they didn't end up in financial ruin, but he ran off with the secretary. They're divorced, their children are all over, they are not in church, 
And she, to this day, said, I was the one who ruined my family. I should have let God cause financial ruin to my family. And we think financial ruin will be the worst thing that happens. But in her case, it wasn't. In her case, if financial ruin had happened, their family may have stayed together. They may have realized that there were problems. Her husband may have been brought to the end of himself. But we step in and we see our kids making choices and we think, well, even in school, a lot of us homeschool. And we can look at our kids' schoolwork and be like, they're just not trying. They're just not doing a good job. But rather than hand them the F, we stand there and we're like, try harder. Do this. Do that. We take everything away and we say, you're going to do it. Well, what happens? Do they do it? No. <laughs> then they resent us. Then they're angry with us. Whereas if we just let them face the consequences and gave them the ticket, here's your F. Here is what's going to happen to your transcript. Seriously, we put more clout into these transcripts than these kids do. And it's a hard thing. That's like my whole year with... Yes, yeah, but it's hard. People in high school, and it's like you reach the point. It's like, well, you're wrecking your, not your whole future, but you're. They're not seeing. They don't the, see the, the big picture. The big, big picture, and I've had to do that. But the thing is, is sometimes they don't see the big picture. However, God is using that, and it may take time because we feel that God moves slow. But if he can't get a hold of our young person's heart, and we're always trying to get a hold of our young person's heart, we may ruin our children. I had a child this week, and I, I'm not even going to give gender because it's going to give it away who it would be. But we had signed our kids up for a really fun summer camp. It was free. It was shipbuilding and oceans. And... It was really great. With our homeschool curriculum, I really wanted them to go. That child came back from camp on Monday, and that child was horrible. Just had very, very, la he had lack, or, sorry, lack of self-control. There was a lot of lack of self-control. But, and we had seen this building, but I had always said, okay, we're not going to take camp away. We're not going to take camp away. It's really good for them. My husband said, we're taking camp away. And I wanted to fight him and I wanted to say, no, they need this. It goes with their school. They need to have this. This is really good for them. They'll never get this opportunity again. But I had to say, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, then this is what we're going to have to do. And I'm going to have to give this child chores. And I'm going to be the one who has to put up with this child it's the next day. It's more work for me. It's hard. So I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. But you did the crime. You got to pay the time. And so Tuesday, that child did not go to camp. And it was probably one of the funnest days of camp, unfortunately. And that child did a lot of chores for me that day. But we could see that the child needed to pay the ticket. Mm -hmm. A police officer has two options. You may not realize this. But when a police officer pulls you over, they either can give you a lecture or they can give you a ticket. Mm -hmm. They can't give you both. They're not allowed. So if they give you a ticket, they can't give you a lecture. If they give you a lecture, they can't give you a ticket. Mm 
we as women tend to give both lectures and tickets. And we give way too many lectures and not enough tickets. They have to pay the time. And we don't want them to do that. We think that their actions are a reflection on us. They're not. When I had, Gracie was three years old, an older woman came up to me and she said she could, she recognized that I felt embarrassed whenever they were unruly in church. And, and I always felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job. And she came up to me and she said, it's their choice. Let them make the choice. It's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of them. And if they can't, you've got, you can't force them. You cannot force them. If you force a child, all you are going to do is push them away. Make them rebellious. Make them rebellious. A rebellious child is born out of a parent always, always coming alongside and saying, you will do what I say you will do. We can choose to push them to that point and say, okay, but then we all lose out. We all lose out. Whereas just coming alongside and saying, okay, if you make this choice, this is what's going to happen. And then when they do do it, we have to follow through. And this is the hardest thing for me is following through when they do it. I will never take church activities away. I will never, ever take church activities away because this is where they're hearing God's word. These are the people that are helping them grow in the Lord. But everything else is free game and it is harder. It is so much harder for me to take those things away. It is so hard for me to take those things away. However, at the end of the day, it is more important that I win their heart and that they see their need for a savior and they see their sin as God sees it, not as mommy tells them God sees it, as they see it for themselves. I cannot tell them, I can tell them to on blue in the face what their sin looks like to God, but I can't make them realize that. God has to work through it. I am not the Holy Spirit. God has to work through them. And until we realize that, what has happened in churches, and, I, and I've seen it all over the country, there's this philosophy of, and I believe in spanking. I truly do. And I believe in discipline. I truly do. But there has a philosophy of we discipline them, until we force our will upon them. When we do that, we push children away. Rather than showing them, God doesn't force his will upon us. He does not force his will upon us. We have a choice. And until we realize that with our children, we will push them away. But, it's at, it, but we need to acknowledge that when we have to control everything, it's a lack of contentment on our part, a lack of waiting on God, a lack of him being able to work through us to show them love when they are so very unlovely. So, um, first I'm following after my husband. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, Which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate in the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. J.I. Packer said, Contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand 
what he sends because we know that he is good and therefore it is good. I'm going to say that one again. Contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because he kno we know that he is good and therefore it is good. Let's go to Psalm 16.5. What was the one we just read? 1 Timothy 6.15, about talking about God is the blessed and only potentate. And he's going to show that to us. Psalm 16.5. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 6 is, is a godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes. Godliness, godliness with contentment. It's not by itself. No. Psalm 16.5 says... The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Elizabeth Elliot said this, I know of no greater simplifier for all of life. Whatever happens is assigned. Does the intellect balk at that? Can we say that there are things that happen to us that do not belong in our lovely assigned portion? This belongs to it. But that does not. Are some things then out of the control of the Almighty? Every assignment is measured and controlled for my eternal good. She could say this. She lost two husbands to the, to the African jungle. Jim Elliot, they were only married less than a year. As I accept the given portion, other options are canceled. When I accept the given portion, other options are canceled. I can't devise my own plans then. Decisions become much easier, directions clearer, and hence my heart becomes inexpressibly quieter. quieter. A quiet heart is content with what God gives. Ella the dear woman who was a missionary to Africa knew that someone had to be in control of her life in this out of control world. Because she chose to let God be in charge instead of herself, she was a woman of contentment. We are like a teacup and since everyone else is still going, I'm going to keep going till they all come up. God fills our cup with our portion, what he determines best. Our portion is our physical and emotional being, our abilities, circumstances, roles, and relationships. Sometimes we don't like what's being poured into our cup. Remember the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he saw the suffering he was about to endure, what did he say? What did he plead? Luke twenty two forty two. Not thy will, but thine. Take this cup from me. Luke twenty two forty two. And he was not sinning when he said this. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't. It wasn't the suffering. I don't think that Christ saw. He saw that he was going to be separated from his father. Christ grasped the handle of his cup and it lifted it to God and said, Not my will, but thine be 
done. He said, I accept my portion. Infuse me with your strength so that I may drink it. Every cup, whether we're a dainty piece of china or a rough-hewn pottery, it has a handle. A cup without a handle is useless. Unless it's a regular cup, but a mug, it's useless. A teacup has no point without a handle. God has placed our portion in our cup. We either choose to grasp it by the handle and lift it up to him saying, I accept my portion, I accept this cup. Or we choose to smash our cup to pieces saying, God, I refuse my portion. This cup is not the right size for me and I don't like what you've put in it. I'll control my life myself. That's what Rebecca said. That's what Sarah said. And when you look what happened in their lives, and I don't think we see the big picture of those relationships. We don't see how it utterly destroyed their relationships with their husbands. God had so much, I think God had bigger plans. And these women stepped in front of God. Well, Moses, he got impatient. The picture God was trying to show, he actually stepped in front of the picture of Christ himself when he hit the rock when Jesus said, speak to it. He was stepping in front of a picture God had for the children of Israel. He lost. He lost so much in that moment. He never got to go to the promised land. 40 years of putting up with the Israelites. And he lost it in one decision. We could lose our families with one decision. Lack of self-control. Lack of contentment. And just being fed up. We say, no more. I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm going to take this into my hand, own hands. You're, you're taking too long. I'll finish with this. Contentment is accepting God's sovereign control over all of life's circumstances. I need oil, said an ancient monk. So he planted an olive sapling. Lord, he prayed, it needs rain that its tender roots may drink and swell. Send gentle showers. And the Lord sent gentle showers. Lord, prayed the monk, my tree needs sunshine. Send, send sun, I pray. The sun shone, gilding the dripping clouds. Now frost, my Lord, to brace its tissues, cried the monk. And behold, the little tree stood sparkling with frost. But at evening it died. Then the monk sought the cell of a brother monk and told his strange experience. I too planted a little tree, he said, and see, it thrives well. But I entrust my tree to its God. He who made it knows better what it needs than a man like me. I laid no condition. I fixed not ways or means. Lord, send what it needs, I pray storm or sunshine, wind, rain, or frost, thou hast made it, and thou dost know. His work in our lives is not about making sure we get the maximum benefits in the here and now, even when we think we're entitled to those benefits. In fact, real contentment often comes when we willingly embrace the loss of our benefits. When we embrace suffering and when we embrace trials and we look at what God can bring through those moments, then the real contentment comes. And we're able to see God work in miraculous ways.
If we're not careful, we step in front and then God can't show himself so powerful. And sometimes it's just little things. We got a kitchen for downstairs in the nursery. I'm so excited about it. We had been wanting one to replace it. The other kitchen was, it's a mess. My kids took it for their playhouse, but it's plastic. It was broken. It could have hurt a child, but we did, pastor felt no leading to get a new kitchen. And to me, it's not that big of a deal. So we've done this our whole lives. This is how we're debt free. We've just managed with what we had. And, but I, I, I told someone this week, I didn't honestly even pray about a kitchen. I just always kept my eyes open for one. But this week I came across a very nice, it has stickers on it, but we can get those off a very nice kid craft wooden kitchen and that would have cost us $250 brand new but the Lord gave it to us for five dollars and it was just something little and along with that he gave us this great big easel stand that we needed downstairs but I had felt no leading to go spend the money to go get a brand new one and the Lord provided us an even nicer one we have to make one very small fix it needs a nut to hold it together but we're all nuts so we can all handle that but it's little things that we get to see and we can say well that sure wasn't me that was god and when he does it it's so fun to see what he does we have brand new books for the nursery that look barely red and they're beautiful they were just we got them for free and that was the lord and it all happened this last week and it's a blessing to see the lord we have a need our nursery's growing and it's getting huge but God's going to provide what we need, including laborers down there. We need more people. But God's going to provide it. But we have to be content with what he's already given us and work faithful and just watch him work. So, Amy, would you close us in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, thank you for your love and your grace that you showed upon us at Calvary. And Lord, that you showed each day. just be content with the state that we are in and Lord that you would just um, guide our hearts and um, guide our actions and our motives Lord that we would seek to please you in all things and Lord um, something that um, 